While aptitude tests are increasingly optional in graduate admissions, tests are a constant in graduate school and frequently in one's career. How can you manage your stress and anxiety when facing a test, be it the MCAT, LSAT, GRE, GMAT, licensing exams, continuing education exams, or subject exams while you're actually in school? How can you perform at your best during a test? Well, our guest today will tell you. Welcome to Admission Straight Talk, the podcast dedicated to graduate admissions and helping you approach the application process thoughtfully and successfully. Your host is Acceptance founder and world-renowned admissions guru, Linda Abraham. At Accepted, our mission is to get you to that unforgettable moment when you read your acceptance email and shout, yes, I'm in, confident you'll be attending the perfect program to help you launch the career of your dreams. Welcome to the 521st episode of Mission Straight Talk. Thanks for joining me. Before we meet our guests, I'd like to highlight the featured resource for today's episode, Fitting In and Standing Out, The Paradox at the Heart of Admissions. Realize that the challenge at the heart of admissions is showing that you both fit in at your target schools and are a standout in the applicant pool. Except its free download, Fitting In and Standing Out, The Paradox at the Heart of Admissions, will show you how to do both. Master this paradox and you are well on your way to acceptance. Get your copy of this valuable guide at accepted.com slash F-I-S-O as in fitting in, standing out. Our guest today is Dr. Ben Bernstein, author of Crush Your Test Anxiety and presenter of the masterclass by the same name. Dr. Bernstein, or Dr. B as he prefers to be known, has been a performance coach for a wide variety of top performers, including Academy Award, Tony Award, and Pulitzer Prize winners, as well as CEOs, athletes, physicians, opera singers, and actors. Dr. Bernstein is the author of Crush Your Text Anxiety and three other books. He also posts regularly on Psychology Today. Dr. Bernstein graduated from Bodine College and earns his doctorate in applied psychology from the University of Toronto. In addition, he holds a master's degree in music composition from Mills College. Parallel to his career in psychology and education, Dr. Bernstein has extensive involvement in the performing arts. Dr. Bernstein, thanks for being a guest on Admission Straight Talk. It is totally my pleasure, Linda. Thank you for inviting me. My pleasure. Let's start something really basic. What is a performance psychologist? Well, uh, performance psychologist is a term that I gave myself because okay. I didn't know that one existed. And the reason I gave it to myself as I was trained as a therapist, but when I started in private practice, I found that I didn't really take to that form of work, meaning that I, I'm a very active guy and I was really wanting to coach people more than do therapy with them. So, and so that meant I just started looking at where people wanted to perform better in their lives. Early on, you know, it was parents or teachers or, but then it became athletes and actors and dentists and doctors. And so that's what I do is, is that I'm really looking for what a person's potential is and what may be getting in the way of that. So we're looking at their performance and hence I'm a performance psychologist. Okay. And perhaps the next question well, how did you get into it? Was it just a mat- matter of the fact that you didn't care for more traditional forms of therapy no. or? Okay. No. Thank you, though. It's a good question. So I started out as a young child. I uh, was brought up in New York City and I was a very prodigious piano player. I love playing the piano and I played very well. However, that got uh, side 
backtracked is not quite the right word, but I got pushed into recitals and competitions and national auditions and all the kinds of things that a seven, eight, nine, ten year old me really did not like. And I had severe performance anxiety and no one helped me, actually. It was all like, what's the matter with you? And you'll grow out of it and it's all in your head and all these things that were completely not helpful. I stopped playing the piano at age 14 completely. Didn't pick it up again for almost 20, almost 30 years. But what lingered in the background was all this anxiety about performing and, you know, it morphed into getting up in class or giving speeches or, and even acting because I loved getting on stage, but I had so much anxiety. So I had to actually find the way through this myself, you know, through a lot of introspection and uh, therapy and uh, good teaching, you know, really good teachers. Part of what I feel about life is that we're all here to serve. And this is my best way of serving people, which is to, to help them or work with them through their, you know, performance issues so they can perform at their best. Okay. That's a very interesting answer. Thank you for that. So it was really a combination of uh, your own your own experience combined with your training, really. Exactly. Yeah. And I would say also combined with a faith a belief that we're all here to really serve the greater good. We're all here to help each other in one way. You're doing it in your way. I'm doing it in my way. So we find our way to doing that pretty much through our own experiences. I recently read a quote by the late Rabbi Lord, Dr. Jonathan Sachs. Mm. And it was that our mission is to do what we like doing, I'm paraphrasing, obviously, I don't have it memorized, what we are meant to do, what we like doing, and what the world needs done. I love it. That's perfect. I got and I thought that. that was brilliant. It is. It's perfect. What the world needs done, exactly. And what we enjoy. This a combination. It's both of them. You bet. Totally. Both of them. You bet. All right. Now let's go back to the, the topic of performance and what sometimes yeah. inhibits performance, let's say, and sure. that is stress or anxiety. What yeah. are those things? Are they different? Are they the same? Well, no, they're not, they're not the same. They're different. They may trigger each other. Anxiety usually is a fear of uh, what's coming. You know, you're anxious about a test that you're going to take or a speech you're going to give or, you know, a performance review you're going to have. It's, it's a fear uh, often associated with what's coming down the pike. Stress is different. And this is a really important question in terms of the work that I do. So the reason why is because there's a known scientifically proven relationship between stress and performance. We know this from over 100 years of research that stress affects performance. And it's a bell curve. It too little stress, you have to imagine a curve. Too little stress, performance goes down. You don't care, eh, you know, what's the difference? Too much stress, you're freaked out and performance goes down. But in that, that top of the curve is where you actually have just the right amount of stress. And that's where you perform at your best. Now, having said that, most people really have, I have to say, the wrong idea about what stress is. Because when I ask, I talk all over the world and I ask people what is stress. And they say things like, well, stress is my kids and stress is my spouse. Stress is the government. Stress is taxes. Stress is climate change. Stress is COVID. And it's all what I call carpal tunnel finger pointing syndrome. <laughs> point, pointing the finger at other things, which actually suggests, if you think about it for a minute, 
if all those things change, my kids calmed down, my mother-in-law went away, my, you know, Texas stopped, and COVID was all solved, then my life would totally work. Well, it just yeah. does not work like that. This is all life. So what is stress? Stress is what we experience when we react to certain life events. And particularly when we don't like something, it's not happening the way we want it to happen. We get frustrated or angry and we feel stress. We think it's the other person causing that, but the other person is just the other person, right? And it's our reaction to that. Now, certain things in life, definitely, definitely certain life events are more stress provoking. You get ill, you know, your, your a bank fails. I mean, just they can provoke that kind of reaction. But stress is what you feel because what I say is because you're actually disconnecting and I can go into that further, but it's a different definition of stress. How does disconnection come in? Well, disconnection comes in in, in very important ways. I'm gonna take the macro level first, which is quantum physics and all of spirituality basically says the same thing, which is that we- And you're gonna do it in less than three minutes, right? I will, all of quantum physics, physics and spirituality. I'm gonna do like a quiz show, but now I'm gonna do it in two. Okay. okay. So. But we've already used up about 20 seconds. Okay. <laughs> okay. Quantum physics and all schools of spirituality basically teach the same thing, which is that everything is interconnected. There is no separation. That's very hard for us to get our heads around. But think about it this way. When you're taking a test, when you're giving a speech, when you're in your kitchen, when you're driving a car, there are three parts of you, your body, your mind, and your spirit. When all three parts are operating the top level, stress is just at the right place. But when you disconnect in your body, your mind, or the spirit, that's when you experience stress. So disconnection in the body would mean, for instance, when you stop breathing. I watch thousands of people take tests and they stop breathing right the first minute. Your brain is getting the message that you're dying. Stress is going up, performance going down. So I don't know if I've used up my three minutes, but we disconnect in the body. In the mind, we disconnect because we say to ourselves, I can't handle this. I'm not able, I'm incapable of negative, negative, negative disconnection. And then the spirit, which is the thing we talk least about, but I think it's the most important. We disconnect because we either don't have a goal for our spirit to be focused or we keep getting distracted. When we disconnect, that's when we feel stress. But you also said that stress can be a good thing. Yes, a certain amount of stress is necessary. The reason why is because we're never going to be without stress. I mean, I was on an airplane and somebody asked me what I did and I said, stress doctor, because people call me that. And he said, well, the absence of stress is death. And I, <laughs> said, and I said, how do you know? I mean, nobody knows, you know, what that's like, you know, <laughs> come back, right? So, but life, life is stress provoking because there's always going to be challenging situations. We're yeah. always going to disconnect a little bit. The key is not to disconnect so much that you feel stressed and then your performance goes down. You're always connecting, reconnecting, disconnecting. So just some of that is okay, but too much of that is going to drive your performance down. All right. All right. Well, that was, a, a, I think, a really good uh, foundation and introduction. How can stress or non-academic issues, and by non-academic, I mean non-knowledge-related issues, sure. yeah. impede performance on a test? Oh, well, I may have just said this, but I, I, I'm happy to say it again. I've and watched thousands, of oxygen. Well, I've watched thousands of people take tests. And if you watch them carefully, 
really carefully, you'll see that when they open the textbook, literally they pull it up on the screen, they go, so, you know, this is for the people who are listening. I just held my breath. Now, when you hold your breath, what's the message your brain is getting? You're dying. So is your stress going up or down? Of course it's going up. That's a disconnection. And if you keep doing that for three or four hours, two things happen. You're, you become exhausted, which is, happens to many test takers over on big tests. And also your, your reasoning ability, your ability to really think just goes down. So you know that's a very simple thing. Another example would be that you look at an item well, this is a little bit more content related. You look at an item and you think, I don't know, I don't understand this. I don't know what it means. That's a confidence issue, right? No test is going to give you something that's completely out of the domain of what that test is going to be or what you study. Or another non-academic issue would be you get distracted. If you're in a room with people taking tests and somebody starts to, you know, wipe their brow or cough or sigh and you get distracted by all that, you're disconnecting your stress is going to go up so there are, it's a great question actually because most people think it's about academic issues and it's not so i appreciate the question a lot and what kind of non-academic prep can enhance performance on exam day oh uh, all kinds of things so one thing is that i teach people something called three-point breathing which i'm happy to offer to all your listeners and the way this works is is that but you have to train with this. If you're about to take an exam, you can't just do it on test day because you have to really be practiced. Three-point breathing. You exhale before you read a question. You exhale before you read the answer choices. And the third point is you exhale after you bubble in an answer. Now, what that does is it keeps you from holding your breath. So you're able to stay in a much more, I'm going to say relaxed state throughout the course of the test and you don't get tired at the end of three hours and you're able to think more clearly. So, you know, that, that helps a lot of people over the years that I trained to do that. But again, you have to practice this. You can't, you just can't do it on test day. It'd probably be great to, to, to practice independent of tests and then perhaps on practice exams. Definitely. Definitely. And, and, and how about the rest of your life? Yeah, you know, that's true too. <laughs> well, but when you think about it, you know, just anticipating you're going to have a performance review with your boss, if you really check in with your breath, chances are when you're thinking about that, most likely you're going to be holding your breath if it's if you're feeling anxious about it. Holding the breath and anxiety are completely connected. Yeah. So, so yeah, you practice more. You, but the way you do it, it's not complicated. If you feel that nervousness starting to ramp up, the sooner you catch it and you exhale and you feel the chair under you and you just let go, it's going to help you. What happens with most people is that they will wait too long when they're really ramped up. And then the tools are minimally helpful. They're, they're helpful, but they can't as quickly get you back to a that, that middle place, that zone. Okay. Now on your website, I, I was looking, you know, at it a little bit and preparing for the, the call today. What is the zone that you, that you talk about? Yeah, sure. Well, it, it, it's most, most frequently used um, by athletes. And when athletes have a really good performance, you know, like they, 
you know, LeBron James scores 40 points and 50, whatever. And, you know, you swim it, you're, you're, you're exceeding your record. They will often use the, uh, the phrase, man, I was really in the zone. And what they're referring to is that middle part of the graph where stress is just right. That's what they're actually referring to. But when they talk about it, it sounds mystical. One of my teachers called it misty moisty. It sounds like, whoa, it just came on me. This, it's not magical or mystical. It's what you can affect by becoming aware when your stress is building and then using tools to get you back. So it's actually a conscious process of awareness and tools. So the zone is that place of optimal performance, but it's not magical. Not magical. It's not mystical. It's not, you, it's not misty moisty. And, and it's one of the things that you do as performance psychology is psychologist rather is help people get into that zone and maintain that zone. Yes, of course. That's exactly, that's great. That's the whole point of this work. Bear with me. I have to sure. correct a couple of words. I don't help people do anything. I okay. train them. I train them to be aware when they're slipping out of the zone and how to get themselves back using tools. Now, the, the, an important thing here to know is that everybody's optimal level of stress is different. You know, you have kids, you know what I'm talking about, right? You're, you know, one, my, my optimal level of stress is very different from my wife. I can do four or five or six different things seemingly at once. My wife likes to do one thing at a time, okay? And the worst thing we can do is look at another person and go, what's wrong with you? Why are you stressing out? That's <laughs> terrible because that's what's going on with them. It's different from us. So yeah, my, my work is about working with people so that they have a sense of what their optimal level of stress is. And when they start to exceed that, how to get themselves back. Okay. Now, how does what you do relate to or complement traditional test prep? Well, it, it complements it. It relates to it and complements it. Um, traditional test prep, you know, which has been around for quite a long time, really the function of traditional test prep, and I think this is an accurate statement, is to very deeply familiarize yourself with the test you're about to take. In other words, how is the test structured? Wh what does it actually cover? How is the time allotted? What are the different elements of the test. So it's a multiple choice or short answers or essays. There are many things that you really need to know about the test structurally, but also content wise. You know, on an ACT math test, there are six or seven, I think, domains of math that are tested. So you really need to know. That's what test prep traditionally does, which is training you to become familiar with the test itself, but also deep, more deeper dive into the content of the test. What I do is give people performance tools so they can stay in that more zone state. So what does that actually mean? It means that they're calm, they're confident, and they're focused. Calm in the body, confident in the mind, and focused in the spirit. I get people, for years I've gotten people who will do very well on practice tests, but then they take the actual test. I don't say the real test because it's all real. They take the actual test and then they tank. And 
that phenomenon fascinates me. How can you cross over a threshold and then be like a different person? But that's because they haven't been trained in becoming more self-aware. They're aware of the test, but not more self-aware and be, take that awareness into the performance itself. This is what good athletes do, right? They're, they're ready to really perform. We don't teach performance tools. That's what I do. What would be, well, you mentioned the, the breathing exercise. What are some of your other top tools, if you don't mind sharing? You don't have to give them no, all, I, just a couple. I, I don't, no, I don't mind sharing at all. I mean, I invented this model that puts them together, but it turns out there are nine tools, three for being calm, three for being confident, three for being focused. So, you know, the top three in each, I call them leg of the stool, think of a three-legged stool. The top one in, in staying calm has to be breathing. So I didn't invent the tools, I invented the model. Breathing's been around for a long time. And if you think about it, there's a reason that thousands of years ago, the saints, the sages, the rishis, and the rishikas in India and China were all talking about breathing then thousands of years ago, right? Okay, so that's one. In the mind, it's very important that you immediately recognize when you're saying something negative about yourself. And in a sense, you confide that. You don't try to push it down. I really don't know what to do here. And there's a way that I have uh, to do. But unless you really accept that and admit that, you're going to be fighting it. And for focus, the biggest tool for focus is to become aware when you're getting distracted and stop the distraction. Just stop it in its tracks. You know, an example from not testing would be, I'm wanting to lose, which I am, another five or eight pounds and I am hungry and there's an apple and there's a donut. Okay. <laughs> you get the picture here already. I got it. I got it. Well, thank you. So I go distraction is donut. Focus is apple. All right, good. You got that. No problem. <laughs> but I mean, uh, I think distraction is a big issue today for people, not even taking tests just constantly. Uh, totally. Staying focused is something, you know, that I think we're all challenged by without any tests involved. How can we enhance focus and minimize distraction, even if we don't have a donut staring at us and we're trying to lose 10 pounds? <laughs> well, it's such a good question. I mean, let's backtrack a little bit. Focus in the dictionary is a noun and a verb. The noun is the goal and the verb are the actions that take you to the goal. Okay. So the answer to your question is, what is your goal? Be clear about your goal. If you want to minimize distraction, be clear about your goal, but also be clear that there are going to be actions that take you to the goal, apple, and, and actions that don't take you to the goal, donut, right? So it's consistently becoming aware that you have this goal, but then when you come to a choice that you make the appropriate choices. You can't really, I mean, you're totally right. The world, is, distraction is just, is like the other pandemic that's been going on and getting worse and worse and worse. So we have to stick to what we really want to achieve, what our intention is, and do that through our action. Really, that's the only way. But there are other things too, I would say, that contribute to that. Turn off your phone, <laughs> okay? I mean, Turn off you your know, notifications on your phone. Exactly. I mean, you know, I, I, we don't have a car. I ride a bicycle and we live in the Bay Area. And the other day, and I'm a pretty careful bicyclist and I have a lot of bike lanes. The other day I was going across an intersection and somebody 
pulled around me to make a right turn. And this guy was looking at his phone while he was making a turn. And he missed me by, I would say, six inches. Wow. Right? So this is very dangerous stuff, you know, really dangerous stuff. I have Zoom calls all the time. And, you know, four to five times, the person's always doing something else than talking to me. And they, they think they, they think they look like they're talking to me, but I have huge antennae for this stuff and they're doing something else. So now I begin every call on this distraction note by just saying, look, I have a thing about people getting distracted while they're talking to me. Could you please turn off all other devices? And most people are pretty cool with that. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure they are. You think that they're also paying you, but you think they want to get maximum value. Um, (laughs) yeah are there different processes for performance enhancement when facing academic tests as opposed to life's tests like public speaking an interview on artistic performance or simply a difficult situation where you really have to step up to the plate and perform perhaps without the opportunity to prepare or study or do prep well, that last part of your question is really the hook, right? Without preparation. Very well, there, then, then maybe there are two different questions. I mean, you can yeah. prepare for an interview. You can prepare for public speaking. Right. But there are right. also tests that you don't know are coming. Right. No. And, and also, even if you prepare for an interview or a, an examination, there will be things happening that you have not imagined necessarily, right? Or you haven't practiced. So the question is an excellent one. I don't think it's different processes as much as as cultivating your awareness when your stress level is rising. So that would be different in different people. Stress level rising, you would feel that in the body, your pulse would increase. You might feel a little headache or stomach cramp or something like that. In the mind, you would be starting to say something negative to yourself. Like somebody throws you a question. I had a client this morning and she was talking about an experience where she was teaching a class and somebody threw her a question and she got nervous, right? So what what does that mean? Well, she had physical symptoms, but she was telling herself as the person finished the question, I don't know what to say. I don't know how to answer this. So what I told her, which is again, awareness, she, when she became aware that she was saying that, just to take a moment to pause, to ground herself and let herself come back into a state where she could answer the question. So it also always come down to being calm, confident, focused. Why? Because it's always body, mind, and spirit. So you need to know when you're feeling that kind of stress yourself, you need to say, oh, I'm disconnected. Body, mind, spirit. And you can start anywhere. Think of a three-legged stool. The three legs are dynamically connected. If you move one, it's going to affect the other two, right? So I think the question is really great because we're always faced with tests all day long, right? That's right. We really are. Yeah. Constantly. Constantly. Yeah. I'm just thinking, you know, on a much more mundane level, your child runs in the room and goes, daddy, daddy, daddy. And you go, calm down. Well, that's not helping anybody, right? <laughs> okay. Right. Kid- well, generally telling somebody who's excited to calm down doesn't do any good. No, of course not. But what, what people don't realize is they just got induced into that other person's state. The kid at this point is all worked up. 
you can be so helpful if you calm down and then can deal with whatever his issue is. But often people just get swept right into other people's stress, which is really problematic. I know. Uh, I, I sometimes have told some of my grandkids that are upset about something and screaming or yelling or crying or say, you know, I can't hear you. You're talking too loud. <laughs> and it usually calms them down. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, you're a good, good grandma. That's good. Like that. Okay, what tips do you have? And I think we've touched on this already, really, but I'll, I'll ask it again so you can you can review. Yeah. Or let's say reducing tension when actually, you know, we were talking a little bit about prep or, or yeah. not being able to prep, but when you're sure. in a situation, you're yeah. in the interview chair yes. um, and you get a question that throws you for a loop. Again, is it just yeah. take, take a minute to think mind, body, spirit, and I'm going to yes. do the best well, I can? Well, um, yes. Uh, let's see. Let me, let me think about this for one second. Okay. You're in a, you're in an interview chair or a test yeah. chair yeah. and you get a question that throws you for a loop. Right. You don't know how to answer. Uh, well, I think it's perfectly fine. To, and this comes from years of coaching people to take oral exams, for instance, or interviews. It's perfectly fine to say, I need a moment to think about this. Right. Why do you feel you only feel pressured to answer quickly because you, you know, habit, experience, uh, expectation, or you're, you're imagining that you, you're going to not seem smart if you have to take some time to think of it. It's perfectly fine to think about something. It's also perfectly fine to say at the first instance, I don't have an immediate answer for that. I need to think about it a little bit, right? Okay, but in order to think about it, you do have to calm yourself down because if you're not calm, you're going to be thinking about how nervous you are. So you won't have room to think about it. But the, there's another part to your question, which I would like to say and suggest. I think it's very helpful to do what athletes almost always do before a competition. They imagine it. They go through it in a guided imagery way. They see it from start to finish. They see themselves performing at their best. They see themselves overcoming obstacles. They see themselves dealing with the challenge. Now, what does that do? That actually does a whole bunch of things, which is there's a whole bunch of muscle memory things that are going on. But it also is, if you do it in your imagination, chances are you can do it on the outside too. If you think about it, everything that we see or touch not not in the plant world, but in the physical world, other physical world, is created first in somebody's imagination, right? I mean, this microphone I'm sitting in front of, my desk, you know, uh, where you are, it's all started in the imagination. It so why not apply that to our own lives where we imagine something before? A good example of this on a very little level is you see a, a phone call come in because of the caller ID and you think, Ugh, oh God, this person, stressful. Don't I don't want to talk to that person. Yeah, don't pick up the phone immediately. Exhale, ground yourself. Just come back to a state of like openness, readiness to deal with what you have to deal with. And if you're not ready, just don't answer. Let it go to voicemail because you'll avoid an unpleasant experience. Right. Yeah. Okay. Good. Good advice, especially for the unpleasant call. Um, either de either deal with it, uh, take a deep breath and deal with it, or postpone it. Yeah. Okay, ready to deal with it. My wife helped me a lot with emails because I would get an email and then you know I have to answer it, 
And I, I got myself in some hot water with that because either my answer was, you know, too short or it wasn't considerate or whatever. And she helped me a lot with that, which is like, okay, write out an answer, but don't hit send. Just write out an answer and come back to it. Is that really what I want to say? Am I saying it in the best way possible? You know, we, we feel so rushed in our culture to be just, you know, has to, we have to do it now, has to be perfect. All of this has to, has to. And it's, it's, it's not really how we work as human beings. Well, email in particular is a very cold medium. Yes, exactly. Definitely. It's yeah. very useful, but it can be very cold. Cold is very good. I never heard it described as a cold medium. That's an excellent, excellent adjective. Thank you. What would you have liked me to ask you that I haven't asked you? Do I know the winning lottery numbers? Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> now, um, what would I have liked? Well, I mean, it's more like what I would like to say. So if okay. I can turn around that way. I do what I do because we're not trained in our educational system to do things in a calm and confident and focused way. Our educational system in general, and I'm not talking about particular schools and particular teachers, I'm talking about the system, is run like an assembly line, which is how it was created in the Industrial Revolution. You do this, you do this, you do this, you do this, and you pop out with a degree, and then you get a job. And that does not, that does not create the environment for real learning, for real growth, for retention, for all of those things. And so when people come to me and say, oh, I want to get, you know, uh, 1550 on my SAT or 36 on my HCT, or I want to get the highest score on my LSAT or whatever, you know, I say to them, look, I want that for you too. And, and I really want to work with you so that you can get into that score level. But the reason I'm doing this work is because you should have learned this stuff in the second grade, because these are life tools, how to be calm and confident to folks. We're, you said this before, we're faced with life challenges tests every single day. And we don't teach in, in our educational system, truly we don't really teach what's useful for life. We teach a whole bunch of other things and, you know, my shorthand sort of smartest way of saying is, how much do you remember from the fourth grade? Like almost nothing. Okay. And, and it goes on and on like that. And I, I really do think there's a failing that we have to correct. I, I have the great good fortune to have been trained as a teacher in extremely progressive, wonderful schools in England that were in very poor neighborhoods but the kids love to come to school. Why? Because they were being cultivated as individuals, as creative people, as people part of a community. It was more lifelike than anything I had experienced as a, as a kid. So that's what I really wanna say, which is, is that we need to be learning life tools. And then when we're faced with any test, we can deal with it in a good way. And I really appreciate how you're bringing all the different tests in because we face with tests all the time. So Constantly. thank you for allowing me to ask the question that I wanted to answer. <laughs> You're very welcome. Just um, I, I like my daughter's friend once said, and I later heard it was a Tom Bodette quote that in school, you have lessons and take tests in life. You have tests and learn lessons. Oh my goodness. That, 
wow, please, please put that in your website or the chat or something. <laughs> I really I remember that one. That's great. Okay, I'll, I'll, I'll send it to you after we're done. I'll okay. send it to you after we're done for sure. But um, in any case, thank you very much for joining me today. Where can listeners learn more about your work um, if they're interested in performance enhancement on test day or in other situations in life? Where can they learn about you and your work? The best place is is the uh, my website, which is um, DRB. That's like David Robert Benjamin. Y O U R, best B E S T. Doctor B your best, just the letter B, and dot com. Now, when you go to the website, there are all kinds of resources, and one of them, if you're in, if you have test issues, would be a course called Crush Your Test Anxiety. So you look in the menu for courses, but there's all kinds of other resources there. Are links to my blog on psychology today. And then I also want to just say, I, I'm happy if, if, you, if somebody wants to consult with me, you get on my calendar. We have a 20 minute consult. I get to ask you a lot of questions and we can and tell you about how I work and see if there's a fit for working together. Wonderful. Thank you very much. All right. We're going to include links in the show notes at except.com slash 521 to com, which is the site that Dr. Bernstein just mentioned, as well as to other relevant resources. Quick reminder, Master the Paradox at the Heart of Graduate Admissions by downloading our free guide, Fitting In and Standing Out, The Paradox at the Heart of Admissions. Grab your copy at except.com slash F-I-S-O. And a final request. If you find the show worthwhile, please share the good word by leaving a review on Apple Podcasts, also known as iTunes. Your doing so helps us spread the news about Admission Straight Talk. You can leave your review at lovethepodcast.com slash A-S-T, as in Admission Straight Talk. Thank you for your support of the show. This is Admission Straight Talk, produced by Accepted, and I am your host, Linda Abraham. I'll talk to you again next week. 